Welcome to Packers Without Borders, the greatest podcast on the planet. <laughs> Bienvenidos empacadores sin fronteras, dos papás dedicados al amor, la risa y los empacadores de Green Bay. Packers Without Borders, the greatest podcast on the planet. Two dads talking love, life, dedicated to the Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Verde y amarillo hasta la muerte. It is spring break. Up here in Canada for my kids. So uh, one of them is, uh, it is 11.37 in the a.m. on Monday. One of them is still in their Betty by. The other one is uh, in the basement, in their pajamas, with a blanket over their heads, and they're playing video games. I think it's the, the 3DS is being played right now. Probably some Mario something. Uh, and it is just uh, uh, quiet in the house. I can tell there's no noise and I'm not outside. So we're not going to hear all the birds attacking me like on the last pod. Dude, when I went back and heard it, it was, it seemed like the movie, the birds dude, is just like crazy amounts of, of flying things around making noise. Yeah. Monday morning, man, we've got a, a pretty good show today. I think we're going to zig when everybody zags a little bit here today. Um, we understand that there is a huge need at wide receiver. And we know we're going to attack that in the draft, but. Well, and you know what, and we can just say, I mean, like we've, we've, we've been saying for probably the last five or six podcasts, ever since Devonte was traded, we know we need to get wide receivers. We believe wide receivers will be taken in the first round. How many is up for debate where and who also up for debate. Of course, us as prognosticators, we know that, You know, the last time I was right with the draft was Eddie Lacy. Every other time before that, I thought I thought for sure we were taking a wide receiver last year, and then we took Eric Stokes. I mean, great surprise, right? But I, I thought for sure we were taking a wide receiver, and I was looking at the list thinking, there's really not that many great wide receivers right now, but I guess we need one, and we took Eric Stokes. This year, uh, I think we're, we're getting – Alave, Dotson, Burks, one of the two, two of the three, or possibly even three of the three. Williams is also in there. Uh, there's a handful of other guys we've argued about. Let's uh, let's move on to the side of the defense. And this goes, you know, this ties in perfect. I'm glad you bring this up. It's 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 almost as if we prepped this show. Almost. But we've actually got some we've actually got some uh, uh, mailbag questions and this has to do with the defense how do you like that i love almost it. as if we set it up where's that song bag. not the one with hair but with an envelope Oh, that song is the best. I'm telling you, man. We got to put that on vinyl. Vinyl. 
and just okay. put it over and over again that way, you know, because on vinyl, you only get six to eight songs or so. And what we'll do is however many times we can put it on there, just on repeat on loop over and over yeah. again. Just Maybe. that little 10 second gold. nugget. <laughs> yeah. It's gold. We played a hundred times. Eight hours. Okay. Uh, right on. When, uh, Blue Cheese 2022 says, when are the when are we having the Packers Without Borders Oscars, slaps and all? Uh, this summer, hopefully, it looks like uh, this summer, there'll be lots of Packers Without Borders slaps. Um, far away from me. <laughs> Such a witty and fantastic. And they, he's, got look, he's got a great looking kid. Is the defense set and will Goot add more pieces? This is exactly the topic of debate today. Is the defense all set and will Goot add more pieces? I know we were talking about it earlier. I think the defensive line is pretty close to being set. I think that uh, there's another piece that needs to be put in, but that piece would be a more of a mid-range piece, something that we can get uh, maybe a fourth, fifth round draft pick or possibly a free agent, somebody on the cheap, you know. Um, I think uh, edge, there's tons of edge this draft. And I think that the uh, uh, Packers will grab an edge, possibly even two. There's tons this year, and we could we could use it. Remember, we got Ramsey and uh, Barnes. They're not back, and Burks isn't back. We got, we got a spot. We got to fill. I think we do it in the draft. Um, do we need more corners? Yeah, we always need more special team corners and backup corners and things of that nature. Remember, Black's gone, and uh, uh, Sullivan's gone. And so, yeah, I think we grab a couple. Again, though, these are filler positions. These are filler positions. These aren't, oh, we, we, we don't have a defensive tackle. We don't have a starting corner. We've got probably the best, I mean, the best defense I think we've seen since Reggie White. I agree, Matt. And looking at the grades and what we have on the roster now and understanding that everybody's looking at wide receiver, everybody wants to see what are they doing? Are they going to sign a free agent wide receiver? They've been doing what they think is best for the team. When you lose a guy of the caliber of Devontae Adams, what are they doing? They're loading up on defense. We're going to rely on that defense. When you look at the team right now and what we have on the team. So, again, let's start off with the, with the cornerbacks. We've got Jair Alexander, Rizul Douglas, Shamar Jean Charles, Eric Stokes, at cornerback, obviously, uh, KB on Ento is on there as well, and we signed that guy earlier, yeah. in, very early on in Keandre Thomas. But guys that actually have played meaningful snaps for the team at this point, you're looking at Rizul Douglas leading the charge with a PFF grade of 74.5, man. I mean, the dude obviously balled out, which is why he was a priority signing after we lost Tay. And after we signed Devondre, the next guy up was Rizul Douglas. We've got yeah. Jair at a 71.5. And then next is Eric Stokes at a 65.5 as a rookie. People need to, to really look at that and understand that rookies don't necessarily show up that first year, right? It takes time for them to show up. And for him to grade out the way he did, we've got a solid back end. I agree. There's probably going to be something either Ento can step up or they're going to address it in the draft with some later picks. I don't think they're going to be early picks because of what's going on with the wide receivers, but we have arguably the best cornerback group in the NFL between Easily. Jair, Eric Stokes, and now Rizul Douglas. See, and, and, and 
quarterbacks are going to go, okay, I'm not going to throw to Jair, so now i got to test Stokes. Stokes is going to get five, six picks within the first, I don't know, two months within the first eight games. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to go away from Stokes, and then that's only going to bring up Jair's numbers or Douglas's numbers. If these guys, if these three guys can stay healthy, offenses are in trouble. Offenses are in trouble. Good luck, Justin Jefferson, getting any type of cover. I mean, the only time Jeff- Justin Jefferson has a day is when uh, we have to play zone coverage because Jair is out and Stokes is out there as a rookie. And Justin Jefferson, in a loss, mind you, has a pretty good day. And the Vikings have been celebrating that ever since. It's celebrate mediocrity in Minnesota mercilessly. <laughs> mercilessly they are taking our scraps and then on the back end we've got our 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 safeties are solid as well and I know we've we've criticized Savage this last year in terms of how his play was but when you actually look at what we're asking him to do um especially now with Douglas in there um that's going to probably play in the slot right do you think he'll play in the slot and we'll have Oaks and Jair on the edges you tell me who should play in the slot I mean that's the best Coaching room yet. Jair can play the slot. Put Jair in the slot and put Douglas on the outside. Oh, no, wait. You know what? This one, we're going to put Stokes in the – it's pick your yep. poison. It really is. Who who do you want to throw an interception against? I mean, look at on third down when we were bringing in Jair, and uh, there was Jimmy G going, okay, so I throw against Stokes, I throw against Douglas, or I throw against Jair. And we right. were just getting sacks. Right. Playing straight up, man. And this defense is now ready to go. Gary, Gary looks like some type of untamed beast. Like when you see guys a month after the Super Bowl and they're working out, they're doing these, you know, oh, look at me lifting weights. And, you know, you're watching J.J. Watt playing mini golf and things like that. And then you turn on Gary's and Gary looks like he's in the middle of Mad Max in the Thunderdome fighting for his life. And that's how he's training. Yeah. Defensive or offensive lines have got to watch out because he's going to, he's going to set the league on fire next year. Yeah. Because we've got the cornerbacks and then at at safety, obviously Adrian Amos glad that he's back, right? He's going to be taking care of he's, he graded at a 74. His grades were, I mean, run defense, and this is what we talk about. You need that one safety that can come down and hit. He had a 77 uh, rush defense grade, and then he was a 60 on pass rush, but on the other side was Savage. And as much as we'll criticize Savage, you know, he he graded out at a 58.4 for the year, but his lowest grade was a 50.7, and what brought down that average was his rush defense. But you look at the way that these guys are playing and they complement each other very well. So Amos and Savage, obviously we have other safeties on the team, but these are the two main guys that we're going to be looking at. And you look at the rush or the defensive grade for Adrian Amos, 74.3 Darnell Savage, 58.4. But when you break it down, the coverage grade for Savage or for Amos was at a 73.6 and for Savage was 62.2, but pass rush, you're looking at Darnell Savage outplaying at a 72.8 playing Amos. So what one is not good at, you know, Amos is good at the rush defense and Savage is better in pass defense. So so we're cut, getting that covered with these two guys on the back end. Now, I do think that third safety is going to be a big need in the Joe Barry 
yeah. defense and and expect them to take a safety at some point in the draft and it might be early and piss off a couple Packer fans. Well, we do have Savage that's kind of on the cusp, right? Savage has these amazing games and then he has these not so amazing games. And then Savage has a great game and then the next game he can't cover my grandma. Like he, he's kind of inconsistent. I really like Savage. I do. And I hope this is the year he puts it all together and, uh, and you know, the pieces connect, the, the, the docking happens. Oh, my God. <laughs> I saw you doing that, and I was going to say that. You're, you're doing the E.T. fingers again as, as you were connecting. Docking. Try it. Don't try this at home. So I think I, – I hope that the pieces connect, the, the, the stars align, and things work out for Savage. Uh, at the same time, we have Amos coming into his final year. We've got Savage that's going to come into another contract. I think safety is a need, but I think it's a fourth round, fifth round, sixth round need. I don't think it's a first or second round need. You know, every time we do these mock drafts, we have uh, now and then Devontae Wyatt drops down to 22. Mm -hmm. And everybody says we should get Devontae Wyatt. And you know what? Getting Devontae Wyatt might be a good thing. It might be a good thing. It would really shore up that defensive line and make one spot absolutely spectacular. The problem is, is you have an MVP, back-to-back -back MVP on the other side of the ball. Right. You have to A, make him happy, or he's going to be gone toot fucking sweet. And I mean to the point where he decides, I'm not coming this year. I know I signed. There's no Adams. There's no wide receivers. I'm out. Good luck, Jordan Love. Right. I mean, he's not doing that. He it's going to be when you look at the draft and before we get into that part of it, but with safety right now, the top 10 safety, the big board right now that you've got is obviously Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton out of Notre Dame. We're not going to be able to get him because we're going to be prioritizing wide receiver, just like you said, or edge or offensive line at that point. But then I think have, it's wide receiver yeah. and offensive line. It, remember, mm -hmm. we talked about this. It used to be defensive line, maybe O-line. Now with the signing of Reed, that kind of takes that need off the table for the first couple of rounds. And it's, it's back and forth. It's either offensive line or wide receiver. I think the need leans towards wide receiver, but there is an argument just as heavy for offensive line. Absolutely. And, you know, with safety, you've got Lewis Sign out of Georgia, uh, Daxton Hill, Jaquan Brisker, Jalen Petrie, Nick Cross, Brian Cook, and Damari Harris. So there's several very good and graded out good wide receivers or safeties that we'll be able to hit in the draft. So, you know, safety is a concern, but we also have, it's, it's that third rotational safety that we need someone, like you said, Savage and Amos are coming into their last year. So we're going to have to be able to get young there again. So we don't fall into the trap of having to address it because well, you have, to, but it'll maybe, be more of a, maybe we resign Amos, but then let Savage go. Maybe Savage puts it finally together and has that season, and we go, okay, we're keeping Savage. He's young, and we don't have to pay as much for, for Amos, and we let Amos go. I don't right. foresee this tandem, Savage and Amos, anymore after this year. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at all of this, and when you get into the Amos and Savage, um, the next line of defense is obviously the linebackers, 
And yeah. as much as we don't have a lot of guys on the line right now, other than Devondre Campbell, who was at an 85, obviously he was the second best graded linebacker in the entire league, according to PFF. And we've got guys like Chris Barnes, who serviceable Ty Summers, not good at Barnes all. Barnes is gone. Yeah. So he's, a, we- he's a free agent. Barnes a free agent. So Barnes, how do you see Burks, Ramsey, they're all in the wind. So how, So here's a little bit of a prediction that I have with the linebacker position because understanding that we play a 3-4 linebacker is important, but our, our players like Preston and Gary don't put their hand in the dirt as much as, as we'd like them to, right? We don't have a 4-3 defense. It's a 3-4, so linebackers highlighted, but we use our stand-up edge rushers as linebackers. They cover side to side, so we don't need – we need someone in the middle, which we've got, right? We've got the mic in Devondre Campbell, and I think between Preston, Gary, and now Reed that we've brought in, those guys are going to fill in the gaps at the middle linebacker. Obviously, we're going to have to find something to deal with because Isaiah McDuffie is still on there, graded out pretty good, but not fantastic. Um, and we'll see. But that's something I think they'll address linebacker as well. We have in this three late, right? We have three. We have three holes at linebacker. It's commanding a spot in the draft now. Mm-hmm. There's so many linebackers that are good this year. I think maybe at most third round, we grab a linebacker unless something falls into our lap, of course. Right. I mean, all bets are off if something falls into your lap. I mean, we've seen it. They grab Jordan Love. They grab Aaron Rodgers. Something falls into their lap and they're going to take it. But I think that edge and that linebacker position for Burks and Ramsey and uh, Barnes is going to be taken third, fourth, fifth rounds in there. Well, we've got a handful of compensatory picks there in the fourth round. Maybe that's when we do it. We grab two or three linebackers right there, right? That, that position is more of a special teams position than it is a necess- uh, necessary uh, necessity. Yeah. Doctor says two more operations. I'll be fine. So it's more, we don't play with that linebacker as much, right? Probably only about 30% of the time. So this isn't something where it's like, oh, we need a starting linebacker to play right there. No, not really. We're going to go three defensive linemen and then we'll go, we go three, three, five. That's usually what we run, right? Three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and then bring in the nickel safety, right? Right, right. Bring in the nickel corner. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So it's not that it's not that important. Right. It's not because especially with the edge. And again, we so we get into edge at this point right now. And obviously, Rashawn Gary, who was fifth overall in the league, graded out as an 89, 89.8, which is elite at that point. It's a 90. He's playing elite. The guy's showing all the signs that he's turned the corner. He's in his prime. He's playing amazing. But along with that, you've got Preston Smith at an 81.5. And then guys that are going to fill in, guys like, you know, Garvin is probably going to play. He's going to rotate in quite a bit. But we need it. And then we've got Reed, who we just brought in. At if this he, point. But if, really, if Garvin loses. Expensive interior, right? Garvin loses 15 pounds somewhere in there and just gets a little bit slimmer, he'd be uber fast. Because he's got that. He was just a little bit heavy, I felt. You know, I mean, what do I know? But Kind of like what Kenny Clark did, right? Kenny Clark went yeah. from a bowling ball to Kenny this Clark team. does not. Yeah, these defensive linemen do not look like the defensive linemen. Remember Grave Digger? 
Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like those were D linemen. You had to run around them. Now you have to run away from them. Right. right. Like, cause these guys yeah. are, these guys are moving. Yeah. Right? I, I like this. I think the defense is pretty stacked. I think the defense is uh, it's missing a couple of pieces. We'll grab a couple of pieces in the draft, of course. And then we'll also grab a couple of undrafted free agents and fill in. Um, this brings up the uh, next question that we have for uh, Mailbag. Uh, Carla D, how is the special Hello. teams going to get fixed? I, th I think that we see the special teams getting fixed right off the hop because we brought in a better special teams coach, somebody who does have that leadership, that leadership role. Right. He was a head coach last year, interim or not. And uh, already we're seeing a number of these players, Lowry, Lancaster, Black, all of these guys, they're just gone. They're not being picked back up. So you wonder if and what it looks like to me is, is that the special teams coach is getting his pick of who he wants. And we're bringing in this guy from the Raiders and we're keeping this guy over there. It looks like he's going to revamp it and redo it. And you know what? Damn right. That's it. These guys, oh, well, it's a it's a motivation issue. If, if, if it's a motivation issue, then you need to start getting rid of some players. That's what you need to do, right? Like, you need to explain to these guys, listen, I know you wanted to be the number one DB in the league, but you're not. You're a special teams player. Put in your work. Put in your effort. Look at Malcolm Butler. Look at these guys. Terrell Davis. Look at these guys who started out on special teams, worked their asses off, and then became these huge superstars. You've you've got to take every opportunity and try and remember that there's a hundred million guys just like myself, right? Just like I'm sure Bruce, right? We're we're. I'll tell you, if I was given that opportunity at 21 or 22 or 23 or 24 or 30, 19 years old, I would not squander that opportunity. I would be giving 150 freaking percent. I would be sacrificing absolutely everything because there's an opportunity there to set yourself up for life. They, right? Look at BJ Raj. BJ Raj wins himself a Super Bowl, got himself pick six, you know, beautiful. Ten, yeah, tens of millions of bucks and retires. Yeah. You know, he's like, hey, I'm done. Look at Andrew Luck, right? These guys, there's this new breed of player coming in now. And these players are going, you know, instead of playing for 15 years and hardly walking, I'm going to play for eight years and walk away. The biggest thing I'm going to be looking at with special teams this year is the fact that there is a draft philosophy that it, why we've been so bad at special teams over the last ever since we can remember. Right. I mean, it's, it's been forever and a day since since we've had a decent special teams unit. So first off, the fact that they brought in and brought in a guy who could who served as an as a as a head coach to come in to play, to be our special teams, the onus and the importance that they're going to put on special teams this year, obviously it's cost us now two years straight, really it has yeah. cost us uh, Super Bowl appearances. And what I'm curious to see what the draft philosophy is going to be. Are they going to be drafting players that are specifically designed for special teams later on in the drafts where you look at their, their special teams grades as opposed to what they are when it comes to as a specific player? I think the Packers have, have always drafted with, we need you to be a linebacker or a cornerback or this first and then special teams. These utility second. guys, these utility right. guys, right? We're all looking for the guy that can play every single role. 
And you can't do that with special teams. You need to grab at least one or two guys that specialize in special teams. I think that Basachi is going to have a say in, in developing that special teams. And we're going to see, we just can't be terrible, but we also, in order to win a Super Bowl, need to be good. It can't just be middle of the road. Middle of the road will get us where we have been the last few years, but we... It's an issue, man. I mean, from doubting Mason Crosby, the long snapper, the hold, all of those little details can be fixed with coaching, but you also need to have the players to execute. And I'm hoping that in this draft, we actually take some time in the later rounds in that five, six, seven round, um, because we'll be taking care of offensive line earlier in the round as opposed to later the way we have to focus on getting a jump start on those undrafted free agents and guys that we really want to sign. Um, to play special teams with players specific to whatever it is that Basachi wants to do. That's what I'm going to be curious with special teams in the draft here in about a month or so. You know, if you were to categorize the two holes in the dam where Goot has got to put his fingers into, what are the two glaring holes? And I, of course we know that, you know what, there's some topping up of the O-line, there's some topping up of D-line, there's some topping up of the, everybody's got to get topped up. But what are the two main holes that need to be addressed this draft? Well, obviously wide receiver because the room is barren and we lost the best wide receiver in the league. And secondly is obviously special teams for me. That is something. So that would it be surprising then if the Packers say chose three wide receivers and then just started filling special teams? Well, the only type of player that I see out there that, that, is an option from a special team standpoint. And I, again, I always love um, listening. You know, Zach Carusi is very good when, when he's talking about contracts, but when you talk about looking at players and, and Jeremy talked about this on the pod a little bit and, and, you know, I listened to, again, I keep shouting him out, but pack daddy does a great job and a lot of, a lot of work in looking at different players and, there's a few players out there at the back end of the draft that you look at. And the biggest issue was long snapper. And there's a couple long snappers in there that we're going to probably take a flyer on late in the, in the draft five, six, seven, because they're specifically special teams. That's what they do. And that was the issue. We need a long snapper. We've already brought in a punter in O'Donnell who is used to cold weather can hold the ball. So and he's used to, to punting hold. a lot. Exactly. He's punting a lot. So. so snap to hold, I think if we do go special teams, I believe they'll keep the, the same philosophy of drafting cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, defensive line, those types of guys to play special teams. But I do think they target a long snapper in the draft because that is a glaring issue on special teams. So I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think, uh, I think the number of wide receivers drafted this year will be three. There'll be argument over which order, who first, and which guy gets picked. And then after that, you know what? We need guys to block for the field goal unit. And those will be offensive linemen. Oh, by the way, we need offensive linemen too. So that, that'll be on the list. And then we need special teamers. We need guys that can run. We need, uh, what, what, you know, we need fullbacks. We need, there's a handful of these guys that we need on special teams to kind of fill in the role. And, a lot of these guys will be those double T right. That not only do they do special teams, but they're also um, our second interior linebacker or right. they're also our sixth defensive back in this scheme. You know, these guys right. will be used all over the place. So um, that's, that's it for mailbag. That's mailbag. Thanks for letting us play that song again. That's the best. That's the best song I think I've ever heard actually. 
like the chords are ridiculous. I can't believe it just right off the top of your head like that, eh? Ridiculous. Hey, you know, th the three chord wonder, that's what you call it. I'm not just a pretty face, he says. <laughs> Hi, I'm Amy. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. I'm Alex Brown from the Derby City, Louisville, Kentucky. This is Alyssa from Los Angeles. All right, I'm Andy from Sheffield. This is Chris from Nova Scotia. Hey, this is Erin Alice from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hi, everybody. This is Hilmi from Turkey. I am Carla from California. G'day, this is Mel from Melbourne, Australia. This is Mick coming from Granger, Indiana. This is Soren again coming to you from Sweden. And this is Packers Without Borders. This is Packers Without Borders. Packers Without Borders. Packers Without Borders. Listen to Two Losers on Packers Without Borders. If you like Packers Without Borders, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to hit the like button, hit subscribe, and leave us a review. Five stars are preferable, and if you can find us on Patreon as well, under Packers Without Borders, please throw us some money so we can continue doing debauchery. Patreon slash Packers Without Borders. Peace! Go Pack Go! Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. You are listening to my dad and his friend Bruce on Packers without borders. Switching gears. Yeah. What, uh, what did we, uh, what did we, so we got spring break going on up here. Well, so I, we got to talk about a little bit, just you as a husband and the whole Will Smith. Oh Batman my goodness. Are we going to give that time? All just right, a little, we'll, we'll get, we'll give it, we'll give it five or 10 minutes because I, I'm curious to see where your head is on this and what you would do, because I, I'm very firm in how I would have handled that situation. Um, but Will Smith's, bitch slapping Chris Rock was shocking when watching it live. I thought it was a joke. I was like, what the hell happened? And then the audio cut out and I was just like, no, this is real. He's teared up and he's pissed. I mean, he's yelling. So I know everybody's talking about it. Obviously it's probably just consuming social media right now, but what's your, what is your point of view on what happened live in front of millions of people? I think that uh, Chris Rock was riffing. He was off the top of his head. He was on a little bit of a roll, had a couple of good jokes land, and he riffed a little bit to kind of shout out to Jada. Yeah. And I think that he was clueless to the fact that she has a uh, skin disorder that uh, alopecia uh, that is uh, uh, taking her hair away. And uh, I, you can tell. You can tell by her videos, the way that she talks about it. And then you can really tell by the way that Will reacted that um, it is a sensitive subject. And I'm sure it's very frustrating for them. They've got all the money in the world and all the connections that you can think of. And there's nothing that can be done about it. And it's absolutely devastating his wife. However, I think the proper response would have been to wait until the end of the segment they do a commercial break. You walk backstage and then slap Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. I think he stepped over the line. I know that 
you know, making fun of people is making fun of people, but that's like making fun of somebody's cancer or something. That's you, you can't, you can't do that. Right. You just, you can't do that. I think that channeled wrong. I think Chris Rock stepped over the line and I think that's why there was no charges pressed and no police involved and nothing's being released by Chris Rock right now. Kudos to Chris Rock. That looked like it was a pretty good slap and he took it, didn't even rub his face or anything afterwards. Right. Took it, took it like a man. Uh, I will say this uh, and I'll steal it from somebody from Twitter. If he had done that to Dave Chappelle, we'd be into hour 12 of uninterrupted Jada jokes right now. He would have absolutely destroyed Will Smith and there would have been a fist fight. Um, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens out of the Chris Rock camp now with all of this, because he's got, you know, guys like uh, Adam Sandler and Kevin James and Rod Snyder and all of these guys that he grew up with, right? The Saturday Night Live Saturday Night guys Live and everything. Yep. Whoa. Here, here's where I stand on it. And there is some background to this. Um, you know, six years ago, Chris Rock made it a point to lean into Jada Pinkett Smith back a couple years ago. So there was already some history there. I'm sure they had probably tried to address it at some point in the past. And Chris Rock found it amusing to talk about GI Jane, right? The worst, not only consider one of the worst movies ever and to say, Oh, your, your wife is going to star in this. And a lot of people are going to try to defend Chris Rock just saying, Hey man, look, he's in the spotlight. He's supposed to get used to getting ribbed and you're supposed to pick on people. But they're like you said, he crossed the line. He understood he crossed the line. There was a history there. And I exactly like you, I would have done the exact same thing. I, you stand up for your wife, you stand up for your loved ones, but there's, there's a place for everything and doing it on live television. You could have easily just waited five, 10 minutes, calm down a little bit, just like you do with your kids or when you're arguing with your wife, you need to step away, not say anything, let the emotions settle in. That way you have more of a level head. You walk back there and maybe he doesn't even slap him. Maybe it's just a conversation. You tell him, keep your, keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth and you leave it at that. And it stops and Chris Rock apologizes and, and you move on. But I respect both sides of it. I respect the fact that Chris Rock took it the way that that he should, right? He understood he crossed the line and and accepted it fairly quickly and and was able to move on where there was no disruption to the show. That was kind of interesting. And secondly, um, with Will Smith is you don't fuck with family, period. I mean, it, it's, do you say something about my wife and maybe when you're trying to say, oh, well, he, he's a, he's a, a superstar. He needs to get used to the fact that you're going to get bashed on social media. You have to have thick skin, but it's not about, him it was about his wife it's like if somebody comes around and starts talking about my wife or talking about my kids i'm going to react very differently than somebody telling me i'm not going to give a shit if somebody says something about me i just let it roll off of my back but then you start fucking with my family and that's where we've got a problem see and we also have to take into account too that these people don't live in the really real world mm -mm. now you may sit here and argue well he grew up in philly and he grew up poor and whatnot okay that's not been his reality for the last 20 years his reality for the last 20 years is is whatever he points at dreams of or thinks of he owns has goes to or does mm -hmm. okay he, he doesn't he doesn't have a, a real grasp of reality and a lot of these actors actresses they don't either Okay, you've got Sean Penn out there in the Ukraine taking pictures. You know, I, I agree with what he says, 
what he's standing up for and his fight and purpose, but a lot of how, how he portrays it and brings it across the brings it across in, in, in English. is just, Oh my God, Sean, stop, stop talking. Stop, man. You're, you're doing it already. Don't open your mouth and ru ruin it. Right. I mean, we can go on about different public leaders and things of that nature. These people don't have a real grasp of reality, right? And here's an interesting point because right now in Canada, we have the same sort of thing too. Our, our prime minister is Justin Trudeau. He grew up, his dad was the prime minister for like 140 years or something ridiculous. I know it was, it was something like 14 years in Canada. Yeah. You can just keep getting reelected. You have to have elections every year, but you can keep getting reelected and you can come back and do it again for a while, right? We liked you so much the first eight years, you got to come back and do four more, right? right. So, uh, uh, he grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, right? You've got all these other uh, uh, political leaders that have silver spoons in their mouths. They never grew up poor. And then we go to Obama. Obama grew up completely poor. Obama grew up so poor he had to save up to be poor. And that's why he was such a fantastic leader, because he was able to relate to everybody. And because he had a common sense, well, this doesn't seem right, right? We're not going to do this because this isn't, you know, reality. This is common sense here, folks. We're going to do common sense first, right? You have these other leaders who grew up where they go, "Dad, I want this," and Dad, right? It's just like that. It's just like that story there where you know, oh, how did he become? How did he get twelve million dollars? So his dad gave him a ten million dollar loan, right? Like they, they didn't make it on their own. They didn't fight through these things. So we've got this terrible perspective of what the world is really like, right? And for them, that's how it goes. For them. They point at something, they whatever, they've never had to worry about, do I pay the groceries or do I pay the hydro bill this week? Do I, right? Like, uh, guys, uh, uh, don't eat all the food that's in the fridge like because- hot, hot, hot hydro or water hydro? Both. <laughs> 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 hydro, hydro up here is what we call the electric bill because it's called Manitoba Hydro right? Because it's hydroelectric power. 99% mm -hmm. of our power comes from rivers. And then the other, well, no, it's more like 80% comes from rivers and the other 20% is wind, right? Mm -hmm. We've got those huge windmills out here. They're really cool. And to flip right back to put a little bow on the Packer stuff with the, with the wide receivers, just to be clear, as We're to like why. ADD all over the place. Oh, of today, course, right? dude. Well, little of this, little of that. I, I, just, I wanted to address the, the the Will Smith stuff just because it it touched a little bit of a nerve with me just understanding what they're going through. But with the wide receivers and this year's draft, when you look back at the last few years of drafts and why we anticipate, why you're saying they're going to take three, why I know they're going to prioritize wide receiver. When you look at the last draft, so 2021, Amari Rogers, obviously we took in – you know, at pick 85, we, we traded up to get him. But since then, when you go back 2020, zero wide receivers, 2019, zero wide receivers, 2018, we took three wide receivers, but they were late. We took Jamon Moore, MVS and EQ, but it was a fifth and sixth round. Uh, it was basically a fourth, fifth and sixth round at that point that we drafted with this. And before then it was D'Angelo Yancey, 
in the fifth and Malichi Dupree in the seventh. I, I think the, the Packers have learned their lesson and, and it's not about taking a first round wide receiver. It's prioritizing wide receiver. And the reason that our room is so bare now, it has literally been since 2017, since we've actually even looked at any type of wide receivers. And even then it was late. You look at 2016, one wide receiver in the fifth and then 2015 Ty Montgomery we took in the third. He's a running back. We already know that. So since Devontae Adams in 2014, the earliest we have taken a wide receiver was in the third round, and that was Ty Montgomery, other than Amari Rodgers that we just took, who's still young and still has a chance. But the three guys that we have in the room right now, all over 75% snaps in the slot. So what are we going to do? We need outside wide receivers, and that's what we're going to target in the draft. We're going to replenish the cupboard. And we're going to do it, I think, I think at least with two first-round picks uh, for wide receivers and really give Rodgers back that uh, Jennings, Jones, Nelson, Driver, you know, any one of those guys could take over a game-type offense. And really, we could do it for dirt cheap. I mean, if you think about it, we could put three wide receivers, three top wide receivers in our offense for probably only about – And Aaron Jones and Dylan. And, right. and Tanyan and, yeah. and Cobb and Lazar and Amari uh, uh, Rogers, right? We could put them all in there for maybe only about six million more. That's nothing, right? Landry's holding out for 20 million bucks for crying yeah, out loud. We ain't get Landry. Landry just came off the table. Landry will revisit again in two months. If he hasn't been signed in two months, then. Uh, we're not taking we'll a Julio Jones. We're not taking any big names. The big guy that I think is going to step up, who I started really thinking about his game, and now that is not going to be uber-targeting Devontae Adams' year, is Alan Lazard has a lot of breakaway speed after the catch, the way that Jordy Nelson did. That's why we enjoyed Jordy Nelson so much, right? He was a deep threat, but he was more of those middle to intermediate routes and be able to catch the ball, break it, and take it for another 10 or 15 yards. I do anticipate Alan Lazard is going to be a huge component of this offense. We already know Aaron Rodgers already had some chemistry with Lazard at that point. Um, and Cobb and, and Rogers are going to play in the slot quite a bit. They might spread them out wide a little bit, but I do anticipate they're going to use Dylan and Jones spreading them out, keeping Lazard and Cobb in the slot along with Amari Rogers. And we'll see what the snap count is going to be. Obviously I think Cobb is going to get some. So again, that we're going to need that, that wide receiver that can stretch the field, the guy that can play on the outside and Olave fits that mold, right? Um, I think Burks does not fit that mold. He is more of what we already have in the room, so maybe they not. But Drake London, Wilson, Garrett, you know, Garrett Wilson and Olave are the guys that they're going to be looking at in that first round. And it's it's a must for the reason that you mentioned. It's you have to keep Aaron Rodgers happy, dude. You cannot go into the yeah. season and not address it and prioritize and let him have a say in who he thinks he wants, right? I, I'm sure he's going to be very involved in terms of what players they want to take. They'll say, okay, give us your top players that you want. We'll try to target those guys and do the best we can to get them, but they're going to prioritize and even trade to try to get those players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and remember now, Goots moved up in every uh, single draft in the uh, first round. Maybe he moves up again. We end up getting uh, three wide receivers in the first round. Boom, boom, boom. Not going to happen. <laughs> That's what everybody said when I said tag and trade uh, uh, Devontae. Everybody's like, 
we ain't doing that, dummy. Blah, 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 blah. You're such a dummy. And then what happened? They've tagged and traded him. Yes. <laughs> I've got a prediction for you with your family. So if they draft okay. Wyatt, pretty sure that you're going to get a Wyatt jersey for your oh, kiddo. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Oh, the same day. The same day. I will, I will order it before he gets off a of stage. Yep. <laughs> well, you need to yeah. know what number it is. I, or you just put your kiddo's birth year on there, and then you can put Wyatt on there that way. When Wyatt It'll be does... something like uh, 98 or, you know, 92. What's Kenny Clark? 97. Yeah. Uh, Slayton is, what, 93. Let me see and then here. the other ones are up. So, I mean... He could be anywhere. He could be 90, 91, 94, 95. No, 90. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his pick. 99. He should be 99. Ooh. That'd be good. You like be it. Good. Yeah. The, so, yeah. When you look at the, the guys that are, that are here, let's see, on defense numbers. So you've got Jerron Reed is double zero. Very nice. Um, Heflin is 90. Slayton is 93, Lowry's 94, Kenny Clark 97. Those are the 90s. Lowry's gone. And, and then Preston Smith is 91. So he's probably not going to take a 94. More, We'll see, but he's going to – we'll see. 99. 99. 99. Or he might – you know what? Now they can take these weird numbers again, right? Maybe he takes eight. <laughs> I don't know. They've mixed up the numbers so many times, it's ridiculous. Oh, now the wide receivers can be number two. It's yeah. like, what? What? I don't. I, I like my wide receivers in the 80s. It's, it's easy exactly. to hold. 81, 82, 83, right? Yeah. Right on. Spring. Yeah. Canada finally happened. And you're I'm minus 15, you. dude. Well, the, the, the last two days we were minus 15. Today we're only minus two, but you can see everything's melting. The grass is starting to really show. My phone's starting to light up. Even as I sit here doing this, I probably got four emails, right? People are starting to, you know, clamber to get the work done. Well, yeah. it's funny. My, my daughter yesterday, and I sent you the video. It was 84 degrees yesterday. Yeah. The pool, I've got the, I've got a nice um, heater on the pool, but it's not a gas heater. It just, what it does is it takes the outside air temperature and heats the water. So it's electric, but it heats it with the, whatever the temperature is outside. The water hit 73 degrees yesterday after I cleaned it. And she was immediately in a bathing suit and jumping in and freezing her ass off because they yeah. like the water. They wanted it. They want the water at 88, but we're probably yeah. a week away from swimming here every weekend and having the girls come from school. And that's usually what happens. It's like school, they get home, do their homework straight to the pool for two or three hours, get tired, have yeah. dinner, Go to sleep. So I'm looking forward to the summer months and having my kids being exhausted in the pool. It's going to be great. What, you know what? Here's a controversial topic. Here's one. Okay. As, as we uh, head out the door, what time do your kids go to bed? So it varies. It, we do have a routine with them. And before the two little ones up until, you know, they're 12 years old, it was 830 was lights out. Right. And my oldest up until she turned like right around 14, 9, 9.30 at the latest. Right now, my 15-year-old, who is a night owl and can get up and handle herself, she's usually in bed by about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at the latest. You know, kind of where we fall. I usually fall asleep before she does. 
Um, so she, she self-regulates, but my, my kids right now, I've got my youngest, she's in bed by eight 45, nine o'clock. And then my middle one, um, no later than nine 15, nine 30. So we do let them stay up a little bit more, but it is very routine. One of the biggest things that we do to keep that in line is there's no screen time from Monday to Thursday or Monday to Friday until they get out of school. So unless they're using their iPad for school or work, um, that they've got to take care of, there is nothing that they do. So keeping them off of electronics helps them not have their brain wired at that time. So they're usually pretty good at kind of an earlier dinner bed, but mom, mom and I also need our own time alone, right? Without kids running wow. around. Now. I'll tell you, I, uh, uh, I, we do it a little bit differently. <laughs> what do you so mean? Monday, Monday to Friday or Monday, you know, school nights. Okay. Mm -hmm. School nights. Uh, my son is uh, showered in bed, 10 o'clock. Lights out. That's, late. That's it. Yeah. My daughter who's 15, 1130. Yeah. Now that's late. I'm, I'm up midnight, 1230. Yeah. And then they're all up, uh, well, my son gets up like he sleeps in. It's ten after seven. He's been sleeping in. <laughs> now, right? Are they like he gets getting up in the morning now, or are they morning people? That's the nope, biggest. They thing. get Mike they get right morning. up. Now, now we get them up an hour before they've got to be anywhere, right? So they yeah. get up. They get up. They they get their bowl of cereal. They turn on the TV. They kind of you know 10, 15 minutes of eating and just what's going on and then they get dressed and they get their schoolwork and their lunches and everything ready and then they're standing at the door ready for me at uh, you know 8 15 and then I drive them to school right yeah but yeah no and and the way that we kind of regulate it is if if grades start to drop then bedtime becomes earlier right uh, because so clearly you're not getting enough the doubt yeah you give yeah. them the benefit of the doubt. I don't it's like fuck if, you. <laughs> You're if, going to if, bed when I say. If 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 kids aren't getting at least see, and I use the benchmark of seventy five, right? If you're getting a 71, 72, uh, listen, you can pick it up a little bit, right? Like you can maybe do a little bit more. But if it's 75 or over, I don't comment. I don't say anything about it, right? It's, I leave it alone. That yeah. means you're at least uh, uh, what is you're that? Putting an effort. A B. It's at you're least just a not B, getting it, right? Yeah. yeah, it's at least a B or a C plus, right? Like at least do this, right? If you could do this, then I know that you're at least getting it, you're gathering it, you know it, right? You're gonna move forward. When the grades start to do this, bedtime starts to follow with it. Oh, it used yeah. to be 11.30, now it's nine. Oh, you, yeah. want to, you want to stay back up until 11? Get this grade back up. And before you know it, the grade goes right back up again. And you go, yeah. oh, look at that. You know, one of the things that we learned with with my oldest kid that we've applied to the second younger ones was we put a lot of emphasis, obviously, on school. It's like your only job is school and the few chores that we have you do around the house, right? If you do that, there's no other responsibilities you have because we take yeah. you to your classes to keep yeah. you busy because yeah. we don't want you sitting on your ass all day. But we stopped with my oldest daughter in middle school, putting so much pressure on her with grades because you realize in real life, Nobody looks at your elementary grades. Nobody yeah. looks at your middle school grades. It's just kind of like you need to understand it's important. Once she hit high school, she's been very self-sufficient because we put the 
we put the responsibility on her with her grades and she's done a very good job of handling that as opposed to us freaking out because they got a 79 or a 78. I mean, one of the worst, tra- I'll tell you, one of the biggest traumas I've had in my life. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we try to do as parents is not repeat the patterns that our parents did with us because they weren't perfect. They weren't taught how to be parents. And we kind of go down that same road with our kids and trying not to replicate things that hurt us when we were younger. When I was in fifth grade, um, and this is um, a little bit personal, but I'll say it anyway, because it's important why where I'm coming from with why I don't pressure my kids was with grades is I was always an AB student, pretty much straight A's, you know, but I studied, I, I, not that I'm not smart, but I always had to put a lot of effort into what I have to do. Right. And yeah. I remember fifth grade, I was a junior black belt. I was going for my black belt test. I had been working my ass off for a few years to get to that point, you know, and it was, it was kind of cool. I had a little, um, there's a little dojo right by my, by my, uh, elementary school. And in that time you could walk home. I mean, I, I probably lived two miles from home and I would go from school. My parents would, would work. So I'd walk, but on the way halfway there, they found a Taekwondo place where I would do karate after school. And I was working on it. And the weekend before I was supposed to test for my black belt, I got an 89 in math. And I remember this vividly. And uh, one of my parents, I'm not going to call out which one, um, decided that the punishment was going to be, you got an 89, you're not going to be able to go take your test. So did not let me complete something that I was working on. And it, it, at the time I was upset about it, but now that I reflect on it, I was like, that was fucked up. You know, like what, <laughs> why yeah. would you not let your kid succeed at something that he's been working on? So I, I just, I always have that in the back of my mind with my kids, especially with girls. Boys are a little bit more resilient with those types of things. Girls obviously look at dad, look at, at, at the, at the figure and they're looking for something loving and caring, not completely putting them down all the time. And I've made it a big point with my kids to walk away from that, which is why I try to put them in a situation to succeed, which is why we send them to bed early. Cause I know if they go to bed late, they're going to have trouble getting up in the morning. They're going to be in a shitty mood. It's going to ruin their day. It's going to make me irritable in the mornings as I try to go off to work and do my thing. So we always try to keep that routine. And at the same time, not prep, just as long as they're not really screwing up, it's like, just, work on it. And you know what? It's your responsibility as a parent. If they're not doing well, sit down with them, have them figure it out or put them in tutoring or do what you need to do to make sure that they're successful. But it's not the kid's fault unless they're being lazy. Like you said, like if they're in that middle ground, you're just, you're, you're, you're trying, but you're just not getting it. So we know you're going to get it. But when you're getting yeah. zero, not handed ins and shit like that, that's where we yeah. have a problem. What the fuck are you doing? Right. See, and, 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 and to be clear, it's not like I sit there with an iron fist because I know my grades. <laughs> I remember my grades. And I remember that there was teachers that no matter what, for instance, I took a grade 11 chemistry. This was chemistry 200. And I took it with a, te- with a teacher named Mr. Fast. And for some reason, him and I, we always butted heads. It didn't matter what I said. He always thought I had some type of attitude, even when I didn't have an attitude. And when I did have an attitude, he would overreact to an attitude. And I would, you know, it was one of those things we would set each other off. And I took his class and he gave me a 49. And I was like, man, I'm taking the science as an elective. You're giving me a 49. If you gave me a 50, I would just pass it and get the elective. I'm like, now I got to take it again. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you gave me a 49. Which he did on purpose. And you know, he did it on purpose. He kept you right. Well, this is the thing is the first one you go, okay, what the hell? Mm -hmm. 
So I went and I took it again. And this time I got a 91. And I remember I got the 91 and I was so proud. And he said, well, you know, when you take it the second time, I guess you finally got it. And I was thinking to myself, actually, the teacher that taught it connected with me right away. And I was able to learn it immediately. Like mm -hmm. I have my brain it immediately and you know i got 91 I, I i thought i could have done a lot better the next year i went to do chemistry 300 and i was hoping to get this teacher and the teacher actually left i found out that he left and so he wasn't going to be there at the school and i got mr fast again for chemistry 300 and same I got thing 40 i got 49 i yeah, got 49 I'm telling you, it was done on purpose and yeah there's teachers that i know each of them have one well, my youngest daughter she's she's golden, man. Like she is the social butterfly. Everybody loves her. The teachers love her. Like she has no issues with that. But my two other daughters have teachers that just regardless of what they do or how they do it or how they don't do it, they don't connect with my kids and they make life very difficult to the point where my, my middle daughter sometimes doesn't want to go to school. And that's an issue, dude. And, and yeah. I've addressed it with them. It's like, all right, hold on. My kid's not bad. She's a very good kid. She's very bright. Well, she's not organized. Okay. Well, she's not organized. Is she turning everything in? Yeah. Does it look fine? Yeah. But her handwriting sucks. Okay. Can you read it? Yeah. Fine. She might be a doctor. Nobody can read doctor's handwriting. Who cares? You, know, she doing, and you know, the handwriting like, thing is such a fucking scam. It is such a scam. Okay. Because my, my daughter's handwriting is ridiculous. It looks like a chicken had a stroke while it was trying to write it. And nobody mm -hmm. ever said anything about her handwriting. My son's handwriting looks a lot like my handwriting, where we use a lot of printing so that we can read it back. And they go, you know, your son's handwriting needs work. I'm like, but nothing, nothing about my daughter's whatsoever. I can't make out. This looks like an EKG that she wrote down here. Right. This is fine for you. But the way that he prints this like this, this is not okay. Right. And uh, uh, yeah, the handwriting, uh, that's, that's a scam. That's ridiculous. We used to do, remember in kids, when we were kids, we used to have a full scribbler and we would learn to do the letter A. And then we'd have another full scribbler where we learn to do the letter B. They don't do that anymore. It's like in one week they go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, G, G, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, X, T, W, X, Y, and Z. Okay, good. You got it? Good. That's what they look like. Let's move forward. We used to do cursive it handwriting. Was, you for remember? Hours. It was those <laughs> red notepads oh. with the Indian chief on the front. That imagine if yeah. that was out today. The Indian chief oh. pads with the, with the three lines. But one of the biggest no. differences that happened in the U.S. that I feel was a mistake is going from cursive and requiring cursive letters to print letters. When they went to print and teaching kids how to print as opposed to how to write cursive, handwriting went to shit because the cursive forces you to do everything the same way. And with print, you can print however you want. There's no method to the madness. So it's just kind of trying to write as quickly as you can. But I think when they switched from requiring cursive to, to print and it, it just, it made teachers lazy with that. And it may, and I was a teacher, so I can say the teachers were lazy because it was a reality. Um, and now with the pandemic, I think poor teachers are now, I mean, they, they were put in a situation where now there's a huge teacher shortage, but with handwriting specifically, it went from, like you said, it was pages and pages and pages of Big A, little A, big A, little A, big A, little A, and then a whole row of B and a whole row right. of C. A whole like every, every day. day you would do this for like an hour or all morning right and yeah. you had to do your when you you learned how to sign your name and you had to do 
This is how you signed your name. And no, no, no. It is two T's, Matthew. It is not just the line. You have to, they would go over every little thing. Oh, no, the W doesn't have the little bar at the end. It's supposed exactly. to come all the way up and flat, right? Yeah. They, I had a, I had a talk with one of my uh, daughter's principals one time. It was like grade five and she couldn't read a clock. And so I taught her how to read a clock. And then mm -hmm. I was like going over certain things. Like you should know these things. And she mm -hmm. doesn't know them. And I was looking at her handwriting. And so I went in and I, I didn't go in like angry. I went in like, hey, I have some questions about the programs that my daughter is taking. Do any of these address this, this, or this, or this? And the principal, this is what he told me. He said, well, most clocks are digital. And I said, so we're not even going to discuss the sundial or how the sun actually portrays how the, how the time and the day go. None of that will be discussed whatsoever. Well, there's really no need for it, he says. And I said, what about like watches? When people have watches, he goes, well, people don't have watches. They have their phones now. And I said, so we're not going to discuss how to read a clock. Like, I think I was able to read a clock by kindergarten because you could see the big clock on the wall. And you were like, when that hand gets there, day's over. Right? Yeah. Like, we're out of here. Recess is in. It's just got to move five more minutes in recess, Right. And she couldn't read that. And then we went over handwriting. And I said, when are you going to work on handwriting? And he said, well, most people are typing. Uh, you know, they use the keyboards. They do typing. I said, oh, when do they do typing? And he said, oh, grade seven. I said, so what does she do in the next three years? Does she learn sign language? Like, why aren't we doing handwriting? I don't understand why there's basics. You should be able to handwrite your name in cursive and print it, right? So you at least have that basic knowledge. And you should be able to read a clock that doesn't have numbers, but Roman numerals around it. That should be, and you should be able to read it without any numbers on it, just by the way the hands are. Well, the small hands here, the big hands there. So it's three o'clock, right? Like there should be certain things on this planet you should be able to do. Well, it's thinking and reasoning through things, making stuff simple, which is what the world is now. Everything's at your fingertips. Everything is into that's instant is not going to stick in your brain when you actually have to think through a process and know something. It's obviously going to stick a lot better. Hell, dude, I mean, especially, yeah, my, I mean, my youngest daughter had trouble with time and it was the exact same thing. And they didn't, I never went to talk to them about it. I just taught her how to read a clock, you know, myself. I didn't go to the school and say, what the hell are you doing? Because I'm sure they would have probably said the same thing that probably would have set well, me I off. I didn't go in like, hey, what the hell? I just went in like, is any of this stuff even being discussed? Is this more stuff I should be doing at home? Like I thought reading a clock and Roman numerals was a school thing. Oh, so you didn't Will Smith it? If you need me to go over, no, of course not. Of course not. No, no. He just had every, he had every excuse lined up and I was like, I don't understand. So what does she do in between sign language? Like none of this makes any sense whatsoever. Right. right. Like I, I, I want my daughter to learn as many things as I learned as well as even more things. Right. Right. Now, I know that there's a lot of things she doesn't have to learn about because we have grown past that as a society and as modern age and we've evolved and stuff. But at the same time, she should know about it. Mm -hmm. Right. You should know what Roman numerals mean. You should know what the clock, the small hand and the big hand mean. You should know this, you know, did you know what a sundial is? And she said, what's a sundial? And I was like, nobody's ever talked to you about, you never did this. Like in grade two, we went over a sundial. I remember specifically. You even made one. You got a pencil, you got it in a piece of cardboard and you walked out during class and you put it down <laughs> on the ground and you had to say what time it was. Exactly. Had to exactly. Right. 
It was the smallest little, but those little experiments that we did as kids, they stick with me to this mm -hmm. day. There's so many things. Like I remember uh, uh, in grade seven, we were learning how to, uh, uh, what was it? It was like take apart a vacuum or something like that. It was something very small. Like this is how you kind of service this. And, and, and the teacher said, when you're taking off screws and nuts, he said, remember, it's righty tighty, lefty loosey. I've never forgot that in my life. Even to this day, when I'm doing stuff, I'm like, righty tighty, left, right? Like you I always- I say lefty loosey, yeah. righty tighty. That's a, but same thing. Yeah, but it was backwards. But exactly, yeah, those little yeah. things, the putting, trying to put in, to teach you about gravity, you got an egg and you had a carton of eggs and you had to wrap it a specific yeah. way and you had yeah. to get up on the bleachers and drop it and see if it survived and if it survived you got an a if it had a crack in it you got a b if it broke you had a c whatever it was but those experiences that i'm saying the hands-on the reasoning the working through things is what's missing in education right now and our kids are suffering through through this because it's easy for teachers now as well right they forget that the technology that that you know that that's something i studied um i have a master's in education specifically to teach how to teach teachers when computers were coming into the classroom that it's a tool, not the end all be all. And people need to understand that technology is a tool to help, it should not be the end all be all. But now it's like cell phones, iPads, and especially with COVID now, everything was done online. So everybody now types supposedly, trying to upload documentation, do all those things. It, it's very, obviously that's what you have to do in life now. But being able to write a handwritten note, a pen pal, somebody to write things down, to write notes in class. A birthday card. It, <laughs> a birthday card. Exactly. Happy birthday, A Christmas card, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? Just something simple. Yeah. Like, oh, the world today. Just a couple of old farts, Packers without borders, complaining about the world today. What are you going to do? Yep. Those, yep. those young rascals, damn them. Back in my day, there was one bank and it was open for one hour of one day. You stood in line and you were born in line and you died in line and you loved it. <laughs> without any shoes and no socks and you walk 67 miles one way or the other and four feet of snow because that's what you did to go to school we didn't have ziploc bags you carried your milk in your hand all the way to school <laughs> and if you if it dripped out that's what you had nothing lies <laughs> <laughs> uh, i lies. know right i tell my kids that all the time because where we used to live when i was a kid it, it was a uh, thousand meters. It was a full kilometer. Okay. So it was just over a mile, right? Or just, just over a mile, just under a mile, just under a mile. It was just under a mile to the school. And I used mm -hmm. to walk in the morning, home for lunch, back for the afternoon and home every day. Okay. Absolutely. My kid's school is a hundred yards <laughs> and they stand by the truck. Come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I like I always you, think do you walk do you walk them to school occasionally the like summer, once the weather gets the better summer, yeah uh, all the time in the summertime I love to walk I love I could walk I could walk for five six hours I used to we used to have a Doberman pincher and I used to walk her on my days off we would leave at nine in the morning and we would come back at three in the afternoon and we would walk all day mm -hmm. and I would walk you know 10 15k just yeah. gone all day. Right. And my kids are like, so I walked from the couch to the truck. <laughs> like, whew. I think what we need to do on Wednesdays, maybe do a little reminiscing. We can do a little 
Let's re- remember the days when. Yeah, back when. Remember eight tracks? Remember oh uh, laser discs? Betamax. Remember the debate between Betamax or VHS? Which one do I buy? Should I buy the Betamax or get the VHS? We were always lucky. We were always lucky in our purchases. We bought the VHS and the VHS was the one that stuck. We yep. we bought we bought CDs, CDs stuck, right? Like we we didn't get the laser disc, even though we had friends that had laser discs. Remember, they were huge. They were like yeah. the old vinyl, right? They were they were huge. bigger than vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. dude. It, yeah. It, was, it was like oh, giant CDs. The picture quality, right? Oh, you know, we watched the other day, we watched uh, Ghostbusters on uh, Netflix and it's in HD. Okay, it looks like it was shot yesterday. The picture quality is so clear, right? And Steven Spielberg said back when he was doing like Raiders of the Lost Ark and, uh, you know, George Lucas and they were doing, you know, uh, Star Wars and that, they said the film that they're using now is so high tech that they can't reproduce the quality of it at home on VHS or on Blu-ray or DVD. So now we're starting to see them reproduce the quality. Yeah, because they can, the the film itself that they were using would get so crystal clear and so true colors, right? That panoramic, you know? Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. when it was, it was nitrate film. And I just, my daughter and I saw in glory, I let her watch Inglorious Bastards yesterday because she's, you know, world history, she's learning about, um, you know, the Nazis. Well, and, and that's a true story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is fantastic though. But yeah, the nitrate, they were, she, that's how they burned down the, the, the movie theater was with yeah. nitrate film. So very cool. Beauty. We're going to do a reminiscent uh, one on uh, Wednesday, uh, Saturday. I'll have another game. Oh. We'll play another game. Oh, I have God. another one that's brewing. I'm just glad I'm I'm just leave it for Wednesday, leave it for Wednesday. And, and we'll just try not to say too much about it until Saturday after I have this interview on Thursday, that way I can have a shot at a job and then we'll see on Saturday what happens. Whoopsie. (laughs) I think we'll be okay. I think you'll be all right. Right on brother. Peace. Take care, man. Bye. This has been Packers without borders. Try and be kind to one another. Try and love each other and go pack. Go. Esto ha sido Empacadores Sin Fronteras. No se les olvide cuidarnos unos a los otros. Hasta luego. Grow old. I love you in the morning, in the 
Baby, you know what I do But when you leave me, girl, I get so mad 